Hey everybody. How y'all doing tonight? Good. Good. Somebody's alive. It's good to see you all tonight. Uh, welcome to Large Group. If this is your first time, um, we're glad you're here. I'm sure maybe you're wondering what this is. We're a Christian community um, that tries to ask how does the gospel inter interact with life and faith. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ risen, uh, reigning, and coming again. Uh, how does that affect the college experience? And uh, really, we just sang pretty much all of it, that the reason why we are here on earth, every single moment of it, every breath we take is to magnify, which is to make big the God of the Bible. Um, and <laughs> we make the bold claim as Christians that we are doing it whether or not we acknowledge it. So even if for some of you who are like, ah, not me, like the Christian faith would say, no, you're doing that even by studying. Um, you're magnifying the God of the Bible. Um, and we would say that the best way to do that is by, let's name it. Let's worship the God of the Bible for who he is. And that as we do that, we taste and see that he is good and that it is fulfilling and that life is beautiful and relationships are beautiful uh, as we do that. So if that is offensive to you or confusing to you, um, talk to me about it. And I'd love to hear uh, what you're thinking about that. And um, yeah, we can start a dialogue. I hope week one back to school was good. Uh, lab started this week, I know, so that, I know that's another level of lab reports, which everybody seems to love. Um, so small groups are starting this week also for RUF. I really, really encourage you to try and find a small group um, that you can plug into, even if this is your first time tonight. Um, try and look at that list and see if there's one there that's interesting to you. If um, you can't make it to one, come talk to me, talk to Madeline, talk to Deborah, and say, hey, I got a friend, he's a Christian, she's a Christian, but we want to explore the Bible, we want to read the Bible, would the three of us get together and read? The yes. I mean, if you can't come to something, we'll build a small group around when you're available, because um, those are really valuable. So uh, take a look at those, and um, come to one if you can. If you can't, then uh, I really encourage you to find some way that you can do that. Um, lastly, um, we're going to continue our thing uh, that if you have questions as, I, as we uh, look at Scripture tonight and um, you want to push back or you want me to clarify something, shoot me a text. Um, my number is right there or uh, you can, uh, and we'll anonymously answer those questions. Um, so uh, shoot me a text and uh, we can have a little dialogue after I talk. Um, so we'll spend a little time on processing afterwards. Um, so. Uh, we are going to continue tonight our series. We started last week on relationships. Uh, again, for those of you who are new, we're not spending 15 weeks talking about dating. We're talking about all relationships, parents, family, siblings, enemies, all of it. And uh, last week, we looked at kind of the big picture about how God creates us for relationship because he creates us like himself and equips us uniquely for relationships. Uh, and that the source of all of that is within the Trinity, uh, which in God, who is in union with himself uh, as three persons, is the locus, is the motivating force, is the driving energy of all relationships. And that re relationships reflect, even our relationships reflect God's deity. Um, if you have questions on that, you can either listen to it, it's on our website, or you can come talk to me. What we're going to talk about tonight is that... Uh, as, often, as awesome as that sounds, like pulsing, the, like the, the divinity of God pulsing in our relationships, the reality is, is that's not what most of us experience in our relationships. And so we're going to talk about tonight why that's the case. 
And then once we do that, next week we're going to actually start digging into actual dynamics of relationships. So next week, I think we're going to deal with ourselves, basically mental health and depression, relationship with myself. Why is my relationship with myself so fraught? <laughs> and then the next week we're going to deal with parents, uh, which I know that's something that many of you are interested in. And the next week we're going to deal with enemies, I think, or something like that. So um, keep coming back. But we're, we're going to do the next big picture one tonight, and then we'll move forward. Um, so tonight, we know that uh, we're going to look at, at why relationships are hard. Why, why are we spending 15 weeks talking about relationships? Because they're hard, and we're going to look at why that is. And uh, big picture, the Bible's answer is because of sin. Relationships are hard in our world today because of sin. And we're going to look at, uh, at why that's the case. For some of you, that statement, relationships are hard for, because of sin, is like a duh. I've heard this since I was a baby. And for some of you, it's a pretty contentious statement, and you want to push back against that. So text me. We can talk about it. Um, tonight, I want to look at one way that that's true, one way that relationships are hard because of sin. We're going to barely scratch the surface on this, um, but we're going to look at that in a fairly familiar text and how sin affects our relationship and then how the gospel provides the solution. So uh, we're going to look at a text that's probably pretty familiar to many of you, Genesis 3, which is sort of the beginning of all the breakdowns of relationships um, and how that happens. That is not Genesis 3. Okay, here's Genesis 3. Um, so if you have a Bible uh, to open to Genesis 3, it's the first book of the Bible, or uh, it's on your bulletin. So this is, um, I'll just set the context real quick. Uh, God creates the world in perfect relationship, with perfect relationship with man and God, perfect relationship between man and women, perfect relationship of man within himself, perfect relationship of man with the creation. Everything is the way it should be. And then in Genesis 3, the serpent, Satan, comes and tempts man, tempts women into eating the forbidden fruit, and they do, and it starts this breakdown, this domino effect of broken relationships. And so we're going to look at that tonight. And we're going to pick up just after they had eaten the fruit. And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, what? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit. Of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her offspring and you, your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, you will surely multiply, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for, for, for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the earth. Out of it you shall, out, from, for out of it you were taken. For, to dust, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the, like, the man has become like us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we look at your word tonight and uh, read the beginning of the breakdown of all things, the ripple effects, the reverberations which we still feel tonight, we pray that you would sober us So we look at our own hearts, but you would also uh, encourage us by how you even now in this text, promise that you will solve all things through your Son. Give us strength and courage as we study your word tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, some of you probably have heard this story. Uh, Probably many of you have heard this story that, like I said, God creates the world, and it's beautiful. Relationships are perfect. It's the way that we all long for the world to be. And then we just read the breakdown of all things sort of starts to happen of this, this domino effect of Satan tempting Adam and Eve into mistrusting God and breaking the commandment and them eating the forbidden fruit, and they do. And that betrayal, that, that breakdown, that disobedience, that sin, it starts all the broken relationships. And we're going to look at how that starts even here and now and, and how that starts. And, and the way that I want to look at that tonight is, from one, is, is in one way and how that, what's happening here in this text, happens in our relationships today. And the way I'll put it this way is that what's happening in this text is that Adam and Eve are going from shame to blame. They're going from shame to blame. So here are Adam and Eve. They bring sin into the world. They disobey God. And uh, Im- immediately there starts this breakdown. And they're, they're ashamed. And what's the proof that they're ashamed? They're hiding. They used to be in perfect harmony with God and with each other. And the instant they eat this fruit, they know something is wrong. We just broke the relationship with God. And what's the thing? They go and they hide. And what does the text say in verse 8? They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. And that just fills, if you think about that, that should fill our hearts with sadness and grieving because think of what probably happened the day before. That God comes and walks with his children in perfect relationship. And they talk about, what did you do today, Adam? Well, I found a giraffe and I named it a giraffe. And it was really sweet. And I discovered this new flower, and it was really wonderful. And then the next day, God comes to walk with them, and they're not there. And that relationship was broken. They're hiding. They're ashamed. They say that relationship between God as man is broken. And from that little crack, all of a sudden, all their relationships start to break down. They immediately feel their shame. And shame in this text, it's the emotion, this feeling of I did wrong and I am wrong because of it. 
I have done something dirty, and I, I, I have done dirty things. I broke a person's trust. I broke God's trust, and therefore there is something wrong with me. And the experience they feel is nakedness. We, they, they know that like, I am exposed before God in this. We all have, I think we've all been there. We've all had that thought where, where we think, I did something wrong, dirty, or bad to another person. And what do we want to do? We want to hide from them, hide from other people, in either on our phone or in some sort of substance or in our homework. We think, what have I done to this person or to, this, to God or to myself? And I, can't, I don't want to think about what just happened. And so I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide in my own pity and shame from what I've done. And that's what, that they're, they're avoiding the thought of what they've done at all costs. And they're avoiding the relationship. And immediately what that starts is it starts this, I, I know I did something wrong, but that thought is so unbearable that they're like, I can't think about that, so I'm going to blame something else. And look what they start doing. They move from shame to blame. They start deflecting that shame off of themselves onto anything else they can basically find. Look at the text. The Lord, uh, in, it, God calls to Adam and says, where are you? And he says, I was afraid, and so I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? And the man says, uh, the woman. It's your fault, God. It's her fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Don't, don't look at me. It, 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 you gave her to me, and she did it. And God says, okay, well, let's, look at, let's talk to the woman. And he says, well, woman, what, what happened? And she goes, oh, it's not me. It was the snake. The snake tricked me. I didn't have anything to do with it. And right there is the beginning of this blame game that starts getting passed around of, it's not me. I can't bear the thought of what I've done, of my shame, so I'm going to blame anyone else that I can do. I feel dirty, but it was the woman. She did it. Eve says, I feel wrong, but it was the snake. And I was reflecting on that this week, and I think, man, we do the same thing, right? This very week, I'm going to tell you a little piece of my own marriage. <laughs> I did this with Caroline. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It didn't start off that bad. We had some unmet expectations. So she thought that I was going to be home at a certain time at night, and I thought I had communicated that I was going to be late. Uh, you know, so I got home, and she was super disappointed because she thought we were going to spend the evening together and hang out. And I, f I was like, and I, I felt ashamed. I was like, I thought I told you, and, I, and that she was super sad, and um, I'd let her down, and I had been unclear, and I hadn't, I mean, you know, honestly, I just I hadn't been good with my time. I let her down, and that was wrong of me. And as I was falling asleep, we kind of had a little argument about it. I was falling asleep, and I was like instantly just like churning out arguments about why it was her fault. And, and some of them I said, and then it got into a big fight. Some of them I didn't say, but I just kept, I knew I was the wrong one, but I, I kept just saying my default was, she needs to understand my job. She needs to be easier on me. It's not my fault that she wasn't listening when I told her by I was going to be late. Just rapid fire coming up with literally dozens of reasons why she was the reason that we had had an argument and that I was an innocent victim in what had just gone down. Like, don't you understand, Caroline, that I'm doing ministry? I'm preaching the gospel on a college campus. Can't you be easier on me after that? It's not my fault. It's your fault. And I was falling asleep, and I was like, oh, God, I'm preaching Genesis 3. <laughs> oh, there it is. And I was, and I, and I was like, I, I was wrong. And I'm blaming her for what I did. And we all do this, right? 
We all do this, I'm ashamed of what I've done, but I don't want to take responsibility. I'm going to blame someone else for it. We, are, we all have this superpower of automatically devising reasons for why we're innocent and why someone else is to blame for the broken relationships in our lives, right? And we get really weird about it. We all say, like, well, Jupiter is in retrograde, so you can't blame me. <laughs> Or, I'm a, wing, a four wing three, and so it's just in my Enneagram personality. Or, uh, it's because I'm an introvert. Or, it's because I was hangry and tired. And all of these things are just deflections. They're just blaming others, blaming things that are not us for the way that we hurt other people. They, all of them are attempt to take our own shame, our own wrongdoing off of ourselves and put it on anything but ourselves. And so what's the result of this? Well, what's in the text? <laughs> I doubt that Adam and Eve went after this conversation was like, yeah, let's just go like, have dinner and talk. No, they were pissed at each other. They probably were really, really mad at each other. What's the effect of it in our community? I can tell you the result of it in RUF, because <laughs> I'm often the neutral third party that people come to. It's when two people who are entrenched in their own blaming of others, their own self-vindicated, self-righteous, they come and they say, Jonathan, George hurt my feelings and all I did was make a joke. Or, Jonathan, Sam needs to lighten up and just not take things so personally. It's not my fault, it's their fault. And when this happens with your parents, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, with your roommate, with your study partners, we live in a society where we are constantly saying, they are the problem. They are the problem. The Mexicans, the blacks, the rich, the poor, the Democrats, the Republicans. Anybody, pick your group. It's not me, it's not us, it's them. And when we live in a society that's constantly do that, when we live in Christian communities that are constantly doing that, when we're saying they need to change, I'm innocent, it creates this toxic community of fragmented relationships where everybody is running around saying, I'm not the problem. I'm, I'm just an innocent victim here. They're the problem. And y'all, relationships can't live in that environment. Nobody can be close to another person. Nobody can be vulnerable in front of another person. Nobody can say, hey, I'm struggling in that, in, in, that, in that environment. And that's when curses enter the world. Look what happens in the text as these relationships begin to devolve. The Lord says to the serpent, cursed are you. Then he says to the woman, cursed are you. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband in verse 16. There's going to be conflict between the genders. Then he says to the man, you're going to have conflict with the creation. And all of a sudden, God's perfect, peaceful world of harmony, all the relationships are broken. God's relationship with man, man's relationship with woman and man, man's relationship with himself, man's relationship with the creation. All of it just falls apart. And we experience that every day. That sin leads to shame, which leads to blame, which leads to fragmented relationship. And it starts in the garden, and it gets played out every single day in your life and my life. And here's a place, I'm going to be honest, here's a place where the Bible really challenges you and it challenges me. Because what this passage is saying, it's saying that no excuses, that first in the most important relationship in your life, that is your relationship with God, you are 100% the problem. It's not God's fault it is your fault. Psalm 51, 
is a psalm where David talks about his own sin. And in, if you know the context of Psalm 51, David effectively has just raped a woman and killed a man. And he comes to, he's praying and he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. You and I, we are sinners. We are the ones who sin against God. God does nothing wrong. We sin, and that's 100% on us. And out of that trickles all of the broken relationships in our world. Genesis 3 tells us that our most important relationship with God is broken and that that is our fault. And that's heavy. That's heavy to think about, that there's no blaming others for that. So what does it mean? It means that the solution to relationship woes is not in blaming others and that that blame is often the problem. The way forward is to say, yeah, probably the majority of the time that blame is, is, is the, I'm the majority shareholder in the problem. <laughs> I'm the one who's bringing most of the brokenness into, my, into this relationship. So here's the challenge. This is hard. <laughs> I was thinking about this while I was working on this. This is hard work. Think about the the most strained or hard relationship in your life right now. Maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's with a roommate. Maybe it's a sibling. Think about that. And are you willing in that relationship to, to say to yourself, yeah, I'm 51% of the problem. I'm 51% of the problem, at least in this relationship. It's my refusal to forgive. It's my sharp cutting words. It's my vindictive spirit. It's my cold ignoring of you. It's my conflict avoiding tendencies. It's my no, take no prisoners conflict style. It's my pride. It's my lust. It's my racism. It's my refusal to listen. That I'm the problem in this relationship. I'm not going to blame the other person. I'm not going to blame God. I'm not going to blame my family. I'm not going to blame my circumstances that it's me. Now, there's an important caveat to here that I have to say. This is not the case for others' sin against us. It's only, this is only true of our sin. So, for example, some of you in this room have been very hurt by other people. Perhaps as children, when somebody took advantage of you, or you were emotionally abused or something like that. And I hear me say this clearly, that is not your fault. If someone else has hurt you when you, when you were weak, that is not your fault. We should not blame ourselves for other people's sin. That is damaging to your own soul, spirit, body, everything. But we do have to take responsibility for our sin in these relationships. What the Bible says here is that the blame for our sin resides in us and not on God. So there's a lot more to be said on that caveat. If you have a question, want to follow up with me, I know that's a really tender subject. Um, feel free to text me or Madeline. Um, we're happy to talk. Um, but, but, the, but the main point is still true, that we are called to say that the Bible makes us look hard into our own hearts and say that most of my relationship problems I'm the one who's the problem. And so how, how, does, how do we begin to interact with that? Because that's hard news. When Caroline and I were in marriage counseling, our counselor said that the best skill for marriage is the ability to say, I'm wrong. And this was brutal because our counselor at us had in our premarital sessions practiced that with each other, like in our premarital sessions, like sit down and say like, hey, I was wrong in this this week in our engaged life. 
and it sucked because we were like still trying to figure out how to be engaged, and we were like, and, and it was like really, she was like more personal. Like, don't be, don't be abstract. She was like, I want you to like think of a moment in your week where you were wrong. And it's hard work. I hated doing every single second of it. And I still have to do that with Caroline. I just, uh, I said I had to do it this week, this practice of saying, I am a sinner in this marriage. So in this world, how does the gospel come in and start making this, renewing this, making it possible for us to live in relationships with each other anew? Well, even in this, which is the darkest chapter in the Bible, there's hope. And it comes in the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman, you're like, what in the world? Look at verse 15. Say God's curse to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and he shall bruise and you shall bruise his heel. What is going on here? Well, theologians over the, over the thousands of years that they've studied the Bible, they have said that this is called the first gospel. In Greek, in Greek it's called the proto-evangelion. You hear the word evangelism in there. The first good news of what God is doing. So here it is. Relationships are just unraveling like a rug in front of us. We see everything breaking down, and God all of a sudden just like kind of cracks open this pinprick of light and says, I'm not going to leave the world in the midst of this devolving relationship. He says that there's going to be the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, and this is going to start resolving this. Now, what does it mean by that? What in the heck is that about? Well, in the Bible, the word offspring or seed, that refers to obviously the, uh, I mean, there was a very agrarian culture, and so that meant the man's contribution to a baby. And so all of a sudden when it says the seed of a woman, everyone is like, what? That doesn't happen. That's like opposed to everything we know about biology. Not going to happen. What is the seed of a woman? And for thousands of years, people reading the Old Testament are like, we don't know what this means. And then suddenly, out of the scene in Luke 2, an angel comes to this woman named Mary and says, there's a baby coming and he's from the Holy Spirit. The seed of the woman. And we know this is Jesus. We know that... Mary, pregnant without a man, and her offspring is the one who will crush sin, who will crush. He will, bruise, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He is the one who's going to get tagged on the heel by the snake serpent, but he will crush the serpent's head in the process. That Jesus crushes sin in his death, in his resurrection. And how does Jesus do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us how, and this is amazing. Listen to this. It's that Jesus takes his shame, takes our shame onto himself. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4 says, He went to the cross and bore our shame. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus comes and bears our shame, bears our sin in our place. Now what happens? Remember, shame brings blame, and blame brings broken relationship. If you cut out the shame, then all this doesn't have to happen. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to take the sin of the world on myself. I'm going to take the shame of the world onto myself. I'm going to bear all of the curse from that on my own body. 
I'm going to take all of God's wrath onto myself, all the wrath, all of the broken relationship. We talked about this last night of the broken trinity. In and of it, I mean, that's what Jesus bears is the breaking of the most intimate relationship in the world onto himself. So that when he breaks sin, he breaks the power of shame. No longer do we have to protect ourselves from shame. No longer do we have to blame others. No longer do we live in a world of broken relationships. And when that happens, as Jesus does, that creates a context of grace, of love, where God says, yes, I know your sin, I know your shame, and I still love you in Jesus. And when you start to understand that, then that means that we can start to say, be a people who says, yeah, I'm a huge sinner and I have a great Savior. No longer do I have to say, I'm, I'm not a sinner, I didn't do anything, it's their fault. You can start to say, yes, and look what God has saved a wretch like me from. I am a person who has been saved by the living God from my own sin. And let me tell you about the details of what he's done. Let me move close to you. Come close to me in a context of freedom and safety and intimacy, knowing that all the things that we had to hide from, God has taken care of it in Jesus. That your shame, your blame, the ugly reality that ruins your relationships in Jesus, the seed of the woman, that that's erased. And how freeing that is for your relationships. In a context of grace, we no longer have to blame others. We can admit, yes, I'm the problem. I am the problem in our relationship. I am the problem that I bring 100% of the sin into the relationship with God. That I bring 51% or more of my broken relationship in with you, into you. And that Jesus is in the process of fixing that in my life by his Holy Spirit and by the church. That I'm, that's why we say, why do we say in RUF that it's okay to not be okay? Because Jesus is fixing us. That he has fixed us. Because the seed of the woman is in the process of resolving all of the broken relationships that you and I are in. That you don't have to hide and deflect that you can say, yeah, it's that bad. I am that broken of a person, but I have an amazing Savior. No longer do we have to little, be little blame monsters, but we can freely confess, I am a sinner with a greater Savior. That God's love frees us to move closer, first to God and then to each other in reconciliation. That, and that, that, that's the gospel solution. It doesn't come with me fixing myself or you with fixing yourself or not blaming the other, but it starts with Jesus taking the sin and the blame onto us. And that gives us the capacity to start moving towards others in relationship. How do we do that? It means we repent. Repentance says, I'm the problem. I'm sorry, but I have a great Savior. It means we can listen. We can go to the other person and say, hey, how have I hurt you? you tell me more. Tell me more. We had a professor in seminary who said, whenever somebody comes to you and says, hey, you hurt me, you say, tell me more. Is that all? Is that it? Tell me everything that I've done to you. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's probably true and worse. And I have a great Savior. Would you walk with me as we try to reconcile together in what God has done in our relationships? That happens because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. That that's the gospel solution, not of you trying to fix it yourself, but of what Jesus has done can do, will do, as we grow to trust him. That Jesus begins to fix the source of the problem, 
of our sin, and then that frees us to move in relationships to each other, closer to each other. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, the rest of the semester, asking how does that work in very practical relationships that y'all are engaged in with parents, with friends, with family, with siblings. And so um, I hope you engage with this because this is mind-blowing stuff. This is the stuff that, like I said last week, that, that makes or breaks the human experience. Um, so... But for now, I hope you just see that Jesus is the solution in all of it. The seed of the woman is the one who comes and makes relationships possible. So would you pray with me? Lord in heaven, thanks for this uh, look at your word. Thanks for how it challenges us. Um, Lord, it, it does challenge us. Man, it cuts us to the heart. It shows us how we are so often what's wrong in our relationships with others. Our, our own hearts, our pride, our attempts to blame others. Um, Lord, start with me. Start with me, with my friends, with these students, with my wife. Um, showing me my sin, but then also showing me even more. For every look at sin, at three looks at Jesus and his beauty and his goodness and his grace and how that frees me, frees us to be sinners saved by an amazing God. Do that by your spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.